0: Looks
2: like a radio station.
1: Now, here are your hosts: Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, Pure Red Yeah, A Transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler, I don't talk, man, I back it up, and we are a song full of that, man. I'm right? And Jeff Howe, It's still real to me,
3: damn it. And that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets so. up.
1: If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and we are the Burnt Orange Faithfuls Psychiatrist, Just pop in the AirPods, whatever your listening device is, sit on the couch, and we'll all get through this together. Texas drops another one, another double-digit second-half lead, blown by the Longhorns. This time, Texas loses 32-24 to Oklahoma State, and we will break it down, Uh, and It's usually unsavory to do this during the bye week because there's nothing to look forward to in the immediate future. Uh, The Baylor game is set for October 30th, another 11 a.m. kick longhorn fans another kegs and eggs game mm. such as life but anyway we'll get through this uh and we will uh we'll talk it out and talk about kind of where this program is just beyond the halfway point of steve sarkisian's first season on the job i am jeff howe let me bring in the rest of the team he is the master of the soundboard the drop machine extraordinaire our lead research analyst on longhorn blitz and a daily fantasy guru he is matt butler how are you sir Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I'm not doing too bad. And a man who's uh, always in a good mood, never doing bad. Uh, Our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he's a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for
2: the intro, brother. Rod B., uh,
1: before I ask you what I was going to ask you, um, don't forget, anywhere you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. Click the follow button. Get every episode of Longhorn Blitz along with State of Recruiting and the flagship We've also got our uh, 24-7 Sports YouTube channel where you can get State of Recruiting and the flagship, the video versions. Yes, we are working on getting the Blitz in a video format where I'm not thinking we'll have that by the end of football season. But at some point in the near future, we're working on getting the video version of the Blitz back. So anyway... Make sure you are uh, subscribed up uh, anywhere you get your podcast to get every episode of the Blitz. Uh, I mentioned yes. last week we crossed as a podcast network on the Horns 24/7 platform. We crossed a million downloads for the year. so nice. uh, we are blowing and going and thank you out there so much for the support wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you for being a part of another presentation rod. Since we got a bye week, I do I don't want to go off on too many tangents because they got business to tend to. <laughs> uh, but I just forget your time, your time in Tampa. With yeah. Bucks, yes, it was during the John Gruden era, was it not? It was, yeah. Um, and I know your boy Chris Sims has not had not provided a favorable view of John Gruden over the years. A lot of Base- quarterbacks have had. His
2: experience. A lot of quarterbacks have had tension with Gruden. He he's a he's a quarterback guru. but He likes to play with quarterbacks. They yeah. they are his playthings. Well, he likes to collect them. Uh, it seems like
0: just a lot of truth-telling from a guy like Sims. Yeah. Not not making up stories, more no. just telling what happened and, you know, what happened to him.
1: Yeah. it's not So it's not that often we get one of the biggest stories in the football world, hell, in the sports world, uh, and you have a direct connection to the person involved. I don't know if you want to give any thoughts on this John Gruden situation um, since we didn't get to it last week
2: uh no I mean it's it's sad it's unfortunate I mean they took him down off of their like the Hall of Honor right for winning the Super Bowl yeah and Tampa, I think and Tampa, he was in the right? Ring of Honor yeah yeah in their Ring of Honor or whatever yeah I mean it's unfortunate I, I like I said it's uh I I've always been very open about my uh thoughts on John Gruden I just said he's He's an a hole, and he doesn't care who knows about it. Like that's just John Gruden. That's the way he operated. Yep. I, and I didn't, I didn't say it in a way to you know be mean or mean spirited toward him. I mean that's you again. Like everybody telling. just tell everybody him. everybody will tell you that. Oh no, he's an a hole. He doesn't care who knows it, and it's kind of the way he carried himself. Now he was really good at creating this persona on television that Chucky and all that and people loved him for it. But as a coach and the way he operated and conducted himself, yeah, I mean that's he wasn't someone who had a lot of compassion and <laughs> wasn't someone <laughs> who had you know kind of great communication skills That just really wasn't john okay. gruden uh so uh like i said i didn't know about all the you know emails that suggested you know that you know private Seven homophobia thoughts. and transphobia and misogynistic stuff i didn't not, i was not getting into that i was just talking about him being an a-hole which he was and now it turns out there's a lot of other disturbing stuff to come out about him but i will say this the man could pick a coaching staff. He knew how to pick coaches out of I me. Mean, on that staff, Shannon was on that staff at one point. Raheem, Kyle Shanahan, Raheem Morris, Mike Tomlin was McVay on that staff. Was, uh, I mean, they had a G- Tom a- McVay ended up being Mike on the Tomlin, staff. Mike Tomlin, what's your DB? Mike coach Tomlin was Tampa my DB coach, and Raheem Morris was like the assistant. You know, I mean, assistant DB coaches. I mean, he knew how to pick coaches. McVay, Shano, all those guys kind of started on Yo, that Monty stuff. Kiffin. Help, Monte Kiffin. Uh, Money Kiffin was a DC the DC Tampa two, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he didn't. Rod did. Marinelli,
1: another one who's been a head coach in the league.
2: Yeah, no, he did a good job of building the coaching staff. I'll give him credit for that, but. I think he's pretty much – well, no, he's not done. If he wants to coach again, he can coach again. Art Browell's coached again. Yeah. So if he really wants to <laughs> coach again, he may not be able to coach at the premier places that he wants to, but somebody will give him a job coaching John Gruden may be
1: coaching at a 3A high school in Texas Just saying, Exactly.
2: Know. I mean, Art brow has got a job here. If That's
0: that really. XFL starts up again –
1: <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: there will be some moribund FBS or FCS program. I'm saying, yeah. Say, hey, yeah, yeah, we'll take a chance on. John yeah, Gruden. Reverend
2: Combs wanted him to be the Texas coach one
1: time. What <laughs> somebody brought that up on the on right? the on the Flagship <laughs> Message <semesters laughs> Board of horse 20, Yeah, horse, that was there's always big, coming. There is a healthy John Gruden discussion, and first off, so I, I, the comment that made me laugh the most is somebody mm-hmm. posted in there is like, "It seems John Gruden's very proud to be a moron and to let everybody know about it." I'm like, "Well, that's, that's uh, well,
2: I, I said ho, but yeah, whatever." Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You kind of said it there, right? So that kind of confirms some suspicions. But it's like, well, didn't didn't the Boosters want uh John Gruden to coach? And I said, John Gruden, Mike McCarthy, John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin. I'm like, just make a list of coaches, throw Kyle Shanahan in there of NFL coaches that were never gonna be the Texas head coach that Boosters wanted. There's a pretty long list of them.
2: Pretty much, yeah. And ironically, the man who was very happy about John Gruden's demise and meltdown was probably Urban Meyer. Oh, he was a, the biggest topic of yeah. discussion. Speaking Prior of that, coaches right, Texas it Boosters exactly wanted. I remember the Shakespearean irony <laughs> is that yes. that guy was considered the biggest S show in town <laughs> in the coaching ranks until the John Gruden emails came yeah, out. And everybody forgot about Urban Meyer filling on the butt of some young hot blonde who was not his wife mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> at, at the local pub there a bar or whatever in Ohio. Makes him look like a rain. He did rained. travel back with the okay. team. Team was turning on him. And now, uh, Jacksonville, everybody yeah. forgot about it. Yeah, See exactly. how quick our attention Can I just give you are? a quick Urban
1: Meyer Moved anecdote? That I don't know why. I, I, like, I think of this movie scene, and I correlate it to a lot of things in life. You remember Bever- uh, the first Beverly Hills Cop after Axel has the deal where it's like the cigarette truck, and they go on the big chase mm-hmm. and the cigarette spill, and he's at his locker, and— Inspector Todd comes in and is just dog-cussing him, and Paul Reiser, the Jeffrey character, is there and mouths off. He goes, Jeffrey, I wasn't talking to you. This is not my locker. What am I doing here? (laughs) (laughs) It's like Urban Meyer's like, this is not my wife. What am I doing (laughs) here? This is not my wife. What what is going on here? Uh, Uh, But the the coach Texas did get in the last coaching search (laughs) is Steve Sarkeesian, and right now Sark is 4-3 and after another big, blown lead in the second half. And, guys, that's where I want to start because – Guys, I started going through the numbers, and it's bad. It's very unsavory. And I I said this on on Light the Tower, my show with Craig Way, which, by the way, you can hear each and every weekday on the horn from uh, 10 to noon, and you can get Rod and Kevin Dunn on RBKD from 3 to 7. You know, this isn't Sark's – Sark didn't create this problem, but he inherited this problem, and now it's on him to find a way to fix it. That's true. So Texas – goes up by 11 points in the third quarter on a B. John Robinson 38 yard touchdown run. Mm-hmm. It's a 24-13 lead with 11:43 to go in the third quarter. <laughs> Guys, in the span of the last 31 Big 12 games this program has played and I start this stretch oh, no. with the end of the 2017 season that regular season finale against Tech where Texas is up by 10 with I like, think 10 and a half minutes left and they lose the game. Mm-hmm. In that th- the 31 sh- the 31 game stretch of conference games. This is the ninth time Texas has blown a double-digit lead in the second half and seen the opponent
2: either tie or take the lead. So nine, nine times, times in, in their last 31, 31 conference, conference games, games, they've, they've blown, blown a double-digit lead. You say it in what time? In the second half. In the second half. The so, and, but two of those in the last – In back-to-back weeks. Back, back responsible first, for two of those. Yeah. First year. Yeah, he's got to slow that down. Cause yeah. I, I mean, Tom Herman's is bad anyway. We agree with that. But mm-hmm. Tom Herman got seven in three-plus years, mm-hmm. right? Basically, he's 18, yeah. 19, and 20. And Sark's got two in seven games.
1: And of, so, uh, so of those <laughs> so nine— be, Oh,
2: yeah, slow down those, that pace.
1: So I'll just run down some more <laughs> of the numbers. Of those nine— That's crazy. Sark's—there's been four losses, so Sark's responsible for two of the losses. Uh, and so including those games, those nine games— There's been four other times where Texas has held a double-digit lead at some point in the second half, and it ended up being a one-possession game. The Baylor-Kansas and Kansas State games in 2018, and the TCU game this year.
2: Did they win or lose those games?
1: They won those games, okay. but they were one-possession games. They had a 19-0 lead at halftime of the K-State game. Wow. Uh, the Baylor game, they were up 23-10 at halftime, and that came down to the last play. Yeah. Charlie Brewer throwing and missed Denzel Mims in the end zone. And then the Kansas game, they're up, I think, 24-7, and they had to recover an onside kick yep. with about three minutes left, and then the that. TCU game this year. Uh, in addition to those games, so that's 13. That covers 13 of the last 31 conference games. Wow. Okay. Then there's five other times oh, where Texas saw a second half lead disappear, just a second half lead period, disappear in, in a loss. The West Virginia game in 2018, the TCU and Iowa State games in 2019, and then the TCU and Oklahoma games last season uh, with four of the five losses coming in situations where Texas had the lead inside the last four minutes of the game
2: not surprising uh, it, it's it's those numbers are startling but not surprising because Tom Herman had in his tenure had more what one possession mm-hmm. games than any other coach in the Power 5 second most in the FBS we saw that stat even in you know, when you had in this the, year and now in game first in Oklahoma in State. yeah so it's it's it shouldn't be surprising because it lines up with that stat which was mm-hmm. also a mind blowing stat that, that Texas would have that many one possession games
1: yeah, so it boils down wow. to their this program since Tom, <laughs> since Tom Herman's first season, since the start of the 2017 That's season. That's crazy. Man. Texas, Texas has played 57 games since the start of the 2017 season. 30 of those, over half of those games, have been one-possession games. And Texas' record in those one-possession games? Oh, yeah. 15 15 to 15. (laughs) Exactly (laughs) what you would expect it to be in coin flip games. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's where like
0: the, you know, one possession games, that's why you don't want to be on them because it becomes so volatile at that point. And it really, those margins become that one play Mm -hmm. or the one missed block or the one, say, pick six or something like that. And that'll totally change the component of a whole game. So like I said... This isn't Sark. Didn't create this problem.
1: He inherited this problem. But it's on. I feel like we said that in some way, shape, or form about when Charlie took the job, and then when Tom took the job. Well, but it's know, true. But that's the, that's the job. It, it is. It's been that way for it. a decade. Yeah, uh, yeah, you gotta fix the
2: problems. Be a problem and stronger.
1: he said something after the after the you know, after the game in the, the post game press conference. And I'll paraphrase here. He said, "This team's got to get to the point where they got to get out of the mindset of okay, you just got to hang on at the end." Well, they got to get out of that mindset because that's how Tom Herman coached
2: games. That is how he coached games. They get a lead,
1: just we'll hang on. We'll play field position defense. We'll try mm-hmm. to run the ball. We'll, we'll we'll hang on and we'll we'll milk the clock. We'll find a way to win in the it end. It could yeah. be a habit. Yeah, exactly. I, I I mean, and this isn't me making excuses for Sark. This is me calling this. I think the no, the data is clear, guys. I think this is a systemic issue. I don't know if you can fix it this season, but. This now, to me, looks like the biggest hurdle from a a psychological standpoint that Sark has to get this team over.
2: Mm, yeah, I agree with that. There's some physical issues as well oh, I mean, no, I'm not saying that's, that's it fatigue down yeah. the stretch right. as well I mean it's a multifactorial
0: issue it's I mean, an added factor the, that not everybody has
2: yeah like it's a lot but I, I agree with you I think it habitually it does seem and you got the numbers to back it up does seem to be more than a pattern I mean this is a clear trend yeah. that has happened now throughout two regimes or at least starting with the Sark tenure here that this team when they battle adversity late in the game um, uh, more oftentimes than not, they are not the best version of themselves, mm-hmm. um, and that when and now we're starting to see they relax, they almost exhale at one point during mm-hmm. the game when they have a lead. Uh, oh, we got this! There's this attitude that man, we got this. Everybody's patting themselves on the back, but ultimately, it's almost like the Mortal Kombat game. That's when you have to finish him yep. yeah. because the uh, the opponent then. That's when they are in fight or flight mode. Yep. and they're not gonna they're not gonna fight. They're not leaving. <laughs> right? yeah. They're gonna fight. Yeah. Right? That's when you're gonna get the final push from the coaches in terms of their play calling. All right, they're gonna put up. They're gonna pull out everything they got at that time, and from the players too. You're gonna get their you're gonna get their best pushback before they before they believe it's gonna, they're gonna be overwhelmed by you because you got already got a double digit lead on them like Texas had against Oklahoma State, and and they answered. Oklahoma State answered, mm-hmm. and Texas, two weeks in a row now, they haven't been able to answer. When the opponent starts to push back, when they fight back, Texas doesn't have the answer. Now, the initial game plans by Sarkin and staff are awesome. Great initial game plans. Actually, I said PK, I'll give PK a lot of props. I thought, you know, they played probably as much single high, if not more single high, than they've played in any game this year. Uh, And probably played more single high than they played too high in this game. Um, Because I think he was just trying to make any adjustments, right? Just... Figure out what's your biggest issue. It's rush defense. Hell, the man played base defense, 3-4. All right, four linebackers on the field most of the day of game just because he's just trying to find a solution mm-hmm. to a problem, all right? Yeah. I applaud that. Same thing with Sark and his staff. They got to figure out why does his team have such a great start to the games. And, yes, the initial game plan is really good. The preparation seems to be there, too. Uh, but during the game, when the adjustment phase happens, And this is on the coaches as well and the players, the adjustment and the counterpunch by them because they don't want to get beat. They want to try to win the game. Mm -hmm. You're not handling that well from your opponent. yeah They're overwhelming uh, you with their adjustments and with their counterpunches.
0: And that's where, like, you know, coming in, I bet, you know, Sark had looked at this team, and it's sort of probably where the all-grass, no-breaks mentality would come from, meaning that's what the goal is. But at this point, we've seen breaks be put on. We talked about at the end of the first half last week against Oklahoma, and a few things that may actually go against your principles now when you get late in games sometimes it's hard to continue to just go full throttle and then especially when adjustments haven't been made and then that's when you know the deer in the headlights look can come up or something because you hadn't ne- necessarily faced that adversity it had been easy all game and it has mm-hmm. been easy and then that's that tipping point where if you want to com- be a whole f- football team complete the deal you got to be able to overcome those things and that's where Texas right now you don't want to say it's all because you're talking about a lot of things playing out on the field also against him but it's like you're going against the you know the current and the current's coming faster and faster at you late in games it
1: is uh staggering to see and I, that's probably not the right word but their inability rod to play complementary football in the clutch like in the second half when they got a chance to put somebody away yeah it, it, it's look the defensive numbers are what they are, but man, that defense held up about as it felt like kind of almost the Arkansas game all over again. The defense held up about as well as they could. Granted, they they weren't perfect, but
0: I don't, I don't know, know twenty five points. Yeah, I don't, you couldn't asked
1: the defense to it's to do to more than what they did. But the offense, I mean, you go three and out four straight times. You have one one yard of total offense in the fourth quarter. Man, that's not playing complimentary football, and and it's. It's one thing, like if you look at play differential, mm. it, it, the three losses, it's been double digit play differential where the opponents had you know ten or more of the number of plays mm-hmm. you've had, and even in this game, uh, Oklahoma State's, gosh, I didn't realize it was that, but it's plus twenty two. Yeah, they had what, play
2: something plays eighty two plays 82 to sixty plays? for Texas. Yeah. but
1: it's those stretches you're you're multiplying. It's almost like you're doubling the effect of that play differential. When it's I compare it to like here in Central Texas, like we when we get especially those spring rainstorms, right? have mm-hmm. had rain for like a month, month and a half, and then all of a sudden it's gonna drop like, you know, six inches in about a half hour. Well the creeks and the rivers and streams, they're getting overwhelmed. They can't hold it it's too much too soon. This is flash football. Yeah, that's not kinda, flash flooding. That's kind of what happens with this defense. It's it's the fact that the three announcer happen, bam, 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 one after the other. Rod, you know how it is as a defender. You get over, you're on the sideline, you just barely get a shot of water, and then you hear third alert, punt, third alert. It's like we we just got off the field. Just
2: got off the field. <laughs> we yeah, haven't had time to happens. make adjustments, talk, yeah.
1: to communicate, nothing. So your the the offense's inability yeah. to get anything going it compounds the
2: issue. Oh, the and, first down, man. Just yeah, <laughs> I mean a first exactly. I mean they went. I mean I believe the last six offensive drives. You got four three and outs. You got the turnover on downs, and then you got the interception. Mm-hmm. So that's was seventeen plays, and you didn't get any first down you didn't make any progress at all Mm-mm. yeah so that's when the meltdown happens like you talked about that's when it floods that's when you got the damn breaking and that's on sark and uh because sark's gotta have you know he's got to have enough play and this is my problem because I, I think the you know, like i said 25 points given up by the defense
0: it, this is not on the
2: defense when, in my opinion. One,
0: not even that yeah well, well yeah, go ahead you, go you ahead had the the thir- you had to pick six yeah, yeah so I, I, to me yeah, that's yeah, on the yeah. offense
2: so t- i'll get 25 points given up by the defense. That's enough to be able to win the Big 12. And I saw adjustments by PK. I saw finally him make adjustments. I saw personnel adjustments. Hell, I saw Otomara out there. I mm-hmm. saw different players out there. I saw you come out with the three four. Do I agree with the three four that takes Anthony Cook off the field? Not necessarily. But hey, you know what? You're make adjustments. All right. Good. Try to figure out a way to solve the problem. So the issue is your rush defense was porous. It was horrible. And you had to figure out, you know what, I gotta find you know what the 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 ship is leaking, all right, in in multiple spots. All right, I got to plug one of these damn holes, and you know what? I'm plugging the rush defense. We're going to figure out the rush defense, and then everything else will build off of that. He drew
1: up the who gets f pie and decided, you know what, secondary, you got on your own. you on your
2: own. These guys want to run the ball. And you know what? they Give them a uh, credit because Oklahoma State broke tendency. They came into that game mm-hmm. uh, throwing, I think, probably running the ball 69% of the time on early downs. Hell, man, they, they threw the ball on first down like 53% of the time. They threw the ball on early downs 57% of the time in the first half. They broke tendency going into that game early. Hell, they, they started off the game first play going deep on Josh Thompson. Should have been a catch. By mm-hmm. the way, Spencer Sanders had like three drops in that game. One should have been a touchdown, multiple big plays that they just dropped. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I know. Special the Sanders Ta- didn't the have a terrible game. The Tay Martin dropped touchdown in the end zone and then the, the fade ball in the first drive. The like fade
2: drive. And, like, and, and, and then that was a third and like 17. He threw like, like second and 17 or something, third and 17, threw a perfect ball to the guy and he just he yeah. just dropped it. But my point is this though, what about Sark though. Sark, his play calling early on, since his game planning early on, right? His initial script. That is amazing. We all agree it's it's fantastic. I mean that that opening script was I mean, you had everything in there. You had he put 20 personnel, Saw some empty form. Even the first play was mm-hmm. empty with Bijan catching him. the the Jets sweep motion was just they,
1: they went through I, him like crap through a goose on that first man, drive. Man, cuz
2: it was just, there's so many concepts and so yep. many cheat codes. You he just oh he's if you're the defender, you're just trying to process the information cuz yeah. he's just throwing so much at you. But after you process all that, right, and the defensive staff's got a chance to talk and make adjustments, that's when we're seeing, you know, Sark get outmatched. Right? That's when the, the uh, uh, Jim knows did a really good job. And we'll talk about some of the details of that later. But here's what Sark needs to do. I'm not saying, you know, in movies they call them Easter eggs mm-hmm. where they plant these little scenes and mm-hmm. stuff in movies. They're foreshadowing things to come. I don't see enough of that in Stark's offense. Yeah. There's He doesn't set up his opponents enough. Right? You need, to be, you need to be planting seeds early on in your offensive game plan that you can sow. So reap what you can sow later on. Right? Mm-hmm. So you can reap that later on. And he's not doing that. He's not sowing those seeds seeds early on so he can reap them later and what I mean by that is right you the deep ball right Texas threw one deep ball in this game Marcus Washington out of empty formation touchdown Uh, not touchdown but a 58 yard reception Mm all right so in that in that situation you know I went into the game saying Texas should throw eight to ten deep balls in this game they should try to they threw eight in Oklahoma game completed four of them they went four of eight it was their best game throwing a deep ball the most they've thrown in a game this year passes 20 yards or more down the field. He only threw one in this game. Why is that important? Here's why that's important. Because Oklahoma State, the reason Oklahoma State last year was the best third down defense in the country, this year they're, I think they were top 14 when they went into the game with Texas, probably better now. The reason they're so good is because they restrict space, right? They want to compress space, right? Sark's trying to create space. Mm-hmm. They're trying to restrict That's why they want to play bump and run. They want to mug linebackers on the line of scrimmage. Yep. And on third down, they play the sticks. Mm-hmm. They play the sticks. Go watch so many of those, those third downs. They're just playing it. Joe Clatt talked about it too. That's what they do. They're going to they gonna force you, they're going to dare you yep. to make the low percentage throw and throw it deep yeah that guy may be open throw it yeah throw it make it great but if you don't punting yeah you know, right? we win coaches they don't want to on a third and five or a third and six i don't want to throw it 20 yards or more down the field mm-hmm. they don't give you that yeah because i'm gonna restrict everything else my all my guys are playing at the sticks and the, the reason that you want to you want to loosen up this defense with deep balls early on, mm-hmm. plant those seeds, yep. right? You wanna, you know, plant those Easter eggs. It's cause that, def- that defensive back and that defensive coordinator will be thinking about that deep ball all throughout the game. You keep throwing it, they like, damn, they really want this deep ball. Guys, we need to, safeties, need to back up a little bit. We gotta make sure these guys don't get a deep ball. The, the corners are gonna start turning their hips a little bit earlier. Yep. It'll open up some other things in the passing game. But when you only throw one, go watch the third and fourth quarter of that game. They start creeping closer and closer. Yeah, by that, by that, by that, uh, that fourth quarter, dude. They got th- it's their third and eights and third and sixes where they got all guy, everybody on the line of scrimmage, like all eleven guys bump mm-hmm. and yep. run corners, everybody. Now some of those guys at the last minute, you know, they they releasing the coverage, but they got everybody mugging. Yeah, they're just rest- they just taking away, saying they're just suck in the damn space mm-hmm. and you not throw, and same thing I said and I heard you talk about this too Jeff more Keelan Robinson on the field right yeah what did Keelan Robinson provide because he's going to stress them horizontally yeah all right, so now when you put jet him sweep. in the field more and you throw a couple of those those jet sweeps, they gonna start thinking, "Damn, I gotta get contained." Pulling them wide, we gotta get contained. All right, you know up. what, linebackers, you gotta get some width, man. That dude comes in the game, you need to get contained, and then you set him up because when he gets contained, you come right back around, boom, hit him vertical. When they're stressed horizontally, hit him vertical. When they're stressing vertically, hit him horizontally, and then keep him on the toes. Yeah. You didn't do any of that. You stressed them one time. Yep. horizontally with Keely Robinson's speed. You stress them one time vertically. So by the end of the game, dude, they are, they are compressed on the line of scrimmage. They're coming after you. There's, you, you planted no seeds of doubt, no seeds of fear of the deep ball in that game, and you paid the price for it later on. Go watch the last six drives. Go watch how aggressive they are. When you throw the deep ball, you make DBs. Trust me, I know. Yeah. You make them less aggressive. You've talked about there, that is for is years. It's their deepest fear is yeah. to give up the deep ball. And the, and Jim knows his deepest fear is giving up the deep ball. He's like, man, I can't give up a cheap one. Yep. I, I As long as, they can fight, as, long as I got to make them fight the whole drive down the field, I can give up the cheap one. We're going to be good you threaten them with that cheap one a few times. They start backing up. Maybe a half a yard, maybe a half a yard a quarter about a fourth quarter. You can take advantage of it. Plant those seeds.
0: Yep. And All that's right? where, like, so when you we... can
2: reap what you sow later yeah. on. I didn't see enough of that from Sark. That's my complaint about his play call, and I think that came back to harm him in this game.
0: Yep. And Quarterback
2: you... run game. Another, thing, another seed you plant early on, you reap it later. They start thinking about, man, do we need to put a spy on him? Maybe. All right, put a spy on him. Opens up other things in the passing game. You refuse to run your quarterback. I know he's hurt, but if he's there, you got to use it.
0: <laughs> right? Yep. That's mm.
2: Those are things that you can do. So I'm, I just think there are certain things that he probably could have thrown out there early on to help set your opponent up. It's a boxing match, right? I'm throwing the jab, I'm throwing the jab, the jab, the jab is to set you up for the hook. The jab is to set you up for the cross. By the time you start defending the jab, I'm coming with the upcut. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, there's none of that with his play call. Yeah.
0: and you just admitted it right there. And we all talked about it before the show. And when you have a quarterback that's hurt, though, when your opponent probably knows that, and you know that your last really? game you threw the ball deep all throughout the first half, but then sort of dissipated once he hurt his hand, and then that's you true. see the snaps became the trigger in my mind. Seeing that Casey was either trying to one hand a couple snaps or dropping balls, then he goes from not from throwing. I mean, starts throwing the deep ball everywhere he's been. That's they did it at Alabama. But then, even if Casey's hurt, you still maybe want to do that to keep that seed in the mind. But then effectiveness also—if you know in the back of your mind that he can't connect on these, or that Gundy knows the quarterback can't connect on these—it makes sense. The evidence; these aren't excuses; these are explanations as to why it played out that way in both games. It's ended up being that way. So, and it's it's totally—I agree with you totally. And it's just how both games play out, and that's where the question comes in: is how effective can you be? Because you got to know your personnel and know that if the other team is aware of where your situation is, you got to make those decisions, and that's a tough one to deal with because point. it really cuts off the whole explosivity factor of your team. And at that point, that's when it's like, okay, well, you got to ride Bijan. And we did see Bijan now the last two weeks; he's became the guy that's ran the third most routes. Like he's basically your number three receiver. Mm-hmm. He wasn't getting that much now. He was well, Jordan out exactly. He's basically
2: taking that place. It, I, we think Keelan Robinson probably should take some of those reps too. You need versatility in the offense. Right now your offense is too, you know, it's too rudimentary, right? Yeah, by just, the end of the game, speed, you have got on the, the outside, Joshua Moore, and you got X-Man and then you got Bijan. That's it. Mm-hmm. You need mo. You need a multi dimensional yeah. offense. So you need. That's why Jordan Whittington was so good. He added physicality to the passing yep. game. And now you need another element, which Keelan Robinson can be, which and uh, adding a little bit quarterback running game can be. Right now, your offense is just. It's too simplified. It's explosive. It yep. is. Right. But you can figure it out by the mm-hmm. third quarter. Yeah, um, and
0: Whittington not being that crutch to be there to be fall back on on third down and long that you saw all season long. that's what can sustain those drives. And in that situation, it's hard. Those third and nine and third and. 11s, you can't really now. You sort of can just hand it to Bijon twice, but it's really tough to make yourself call those plays and it changes up everything that you're doing. Matt,
1: something you mentioned a minute ago these are explanations, they're not excuses. It's kind of the essence of what this podcast has turned into. Like anybody can watch that game and see the what, Mm -hmm. like you, you know, the the raw numbers and, and the eye test. That's the what we're trying to get into the why and the how in this podcast. And I, I just think that's important to reiterate that that's what we do on this podcast. But Rod, there's a couple of things I was thinking about. You know, one Texas offensive coordinator. I know I reference him a lot because I feel bad in hindsight that I gave him so much grief when he was here. And good lord, some of the schlubs calling <laughs> plays after him. I probably shouldn't have. But man, Brian Harson was really good at that. Like mm, if you remember the uh, Brian yeah. Harson game plan. Like man, yep. if they're if they're running outside zone a lot early on, it's like he's got to be setting something up. I know. So I up. Like, oh, now it's a hard uh, outside zone fake and they're going backside post because he wants that's where
2: he wants his deep mm-hmm. shot. So it's stuff. He's like running that. a lot of out routes. Oh, that out and up's coming on. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just felt it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Brian Harson was really good at that. But to your point about planting those Easter eggs, man, Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy did that. They did that. If you look at kind of the boot action they were doing with Spencer Sanders early, that's part of the reason why the run game opened up for Oklahoma State mm-hmm. late. Because yeah. now, if I'm a defensive end and I see Spencer Sanders on that hard boot action, or right, I gotta I gotta play contain with the quarterback, I can't just crash down and stop the run. That's a that's just yeah. one of those little subtle nuances that you're. It's taking a hat away from the ball, and now you've got the numbers advantage again.
2: Bro, oh, you, man, you're thinking the same. I literally wrote down bootleg kill Texas right <laughs> here. There were four of them. Actually, there were there were four. There were three that were actual because one of them had a penalty. So the first bootleg was a 13 yarder to one was a 13 yarder right to their wide receiver. That was one of them. They had mm-hmm. one that started off the half. It was 18 yarder, which was nice. They had, it was an 18 yard reception. All right, through these all, these all pass attempts. Mm-hmm. And the third bootleg was in the fourth quarter, ended up being a 14 yard reception. And some of these were into tight ends. They tried mm-hmm. to throw a couple to wide receivers. And then the touchdown, bootleg action, and they target the linebackers. As you've yep. been talking about for two weeks, mm-hmm. Lineback, and they had a lot of linebackers. Especially out with
1: Overshone out at that point. Exactly. Yep.
2: So they went, it basically went right, and they had the two safeties deep in the end zone there. And neither one of the safeties you know, went to try to you know, cover that route, and they went right in between the safeties and right over the linebackers, yeah. and he just made a nice throw with the bootleg. You're right. Yeah. It opened up a lot of other things in the running game. And given other props to Casey Dunn, remember the speed option? Yeah. What was he setting up? The reverse, come
0: yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> back the other way. Out,
2: because the speed, I was like, "What the hell? They keep running the speed option." They know Texas is not going to fall for it. Mm. They're just programming Texas. Yep. and soon as I think the, it was in the fourth quarter, they won that picture uh, in their mind. No, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. They kept running it though, and then it was a seventeen-yard game when they did the pitch reverse. On the speed option. And then, this is how Casey Dunn, this is how you know it's a fight, right? It's a fight or like a a poker match. You don't play the the, the hand, you play the man. Mm -hmm. So right around the time, that same drive where they get the, the pitch reverse off the speed option... They run the double, the double pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they try oh, and and the it the on the, to get right the work, And it, it all—he he was, <laughs> was killing himself. That
0: Spencer was it. so eager to get rid of it, it he didn't
2: catch it. Yeah, the, the guy, the receiver, he was so eager to get rid of it yeah. that basically underthrew it, and then it didn't work. But if it worked, it was wild. touchdown! I mean, yeah, he had a wall of to totally on the go to be a touchdown. So you could tell he was thinking knockout blow. But he—this is what I loved about the Casey Dunn script. He had he had what my man Shanahan calls money plays. Oh, I got some money plays for you. Mm-hmm. You, you, you ain't seen him and you ain't ready for him. I've been setting you up for him. And I got, and that was, a, that was what his money played. That throwback, he's like, I'm getting him. we going to get him. And I'm going to the perfect time. And that was the perfect time for it. And they just didn't execute it. And they also, on that same drive, they went back to uh, the running back screen. Right? They went back to it because the screen was really, remember, they had that. They, they never broke anything on the screen except that one time on third down, they broke a 20 yard uh, gain on the screen, I think it's number 20. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And That's the Robinson. reason they did is because, it once again, Casey Dunn, just kind of the feel for the game. If you if you remember, PK is is bringing pressure on third downs, mm-hmm. and that was a third down, and he's like, you know what? They keep bringing Leap pressure, valve. and they keep coming. I'm gonna just let them come in. Just let them mm-hmm. come. Boom. We are gonna use drop their own the aggressiveness against them. And it, yeah, so he did. I agree. He did a good job setting Texas up the way I won't start to set other opposing defensive coordinator.
0: And it's funny you bring up the money play thing because uh, in in that same vein, I heard Sark, and I think it was during the Monday press conference whenever he was talking about his type of money because, you know, he has plays that have always worked, but, like, he's also learning that, not necessarily do they work here because those plays at Alabama with different personnel or those plays at USC and stuff to where like he said that he's, and it was good self-awareness. He's like, you know, I look down on my chart and you know, not your best plays here and not always the same plays as they were somewhere else. So I need to learn my personnel and learn which players and sort of admitting those growing pains on the front end. And that's something that at least if you're going to find a positive, that was one of the things we were most critical of with Tom Herman because it wasn't very self-aware. Aware with those situations <laughs> and doing those type of things and definitely wouldn't truthfully volunteer that information to the media. Right. Point.
1: Um, but you know, one of those subtle ways Texas could do that, Rod, is getting Keelan Robinson on the field and you know, the jet sweep flip pass has been really good for Texas. It kind of reminds me of I go back to and everybody kinda I think Texas fans got a different view of the Art Browse offense when Sterling Gilbert was here because it's the same offense. But one of the beauties of the veering and shoot is it stresses you so much horizontally that it naturally opens up things oh, yeah. vertically yep. and one of the things that you can do and I thought we were going to see it but we didn't really see it I think I want to say they did it I've seen it a couple times this year and I wish they would go more to it because it's beautiful considering you probably got the best running back in the country in your backfield and and maybe the best the most talented offensive player in the country in your mm-hmm. backfield um, it's taking the jet sweep flip pass, faking it, and it almost it almost becomes like a triple option action now. Yeah, and it becomes an inside zone. Yeah, well, the defense is already accounted for. Keelan Robinson, they're stretching themselves horizontally. There's got to be vertical seams open in the run mm-hmm. game Come at on, that yeah. point. And that was the beauty of the veer and shoot. And people are like, well, why don't they ever throw to the middle of the field? The middle of the field's wide open. Yeah, the middle of the field's wide open for the run game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm Sterling Gilbert, I I want to take my chances with Deontay Foreman one on one with the safety.
2: I'll win that. Nine times out of ten. Yeah. And then every now and then, you know what, what Baylor would hit on you? That will pop past. Yep. <laughs> right off the kind of save action. And yep. then the tight end would in with a delayed release. you would be like, what the hell, yep. man? They haven't done that. And then boom, wide open. Like, why is he that wide open? Well, I got to the one. He was blocking for one second, <laughs> and then the
0: second that he does <laughs> yeah. that, he just lofts up a release. Exactly. I'll
1: see um, if I the 2016 stack. Because I bet, like, Caleb Blewett and Andrew Beck,
0: I bet every ball they caught that year was a touchdown.
2: Yeah. Because you They'll just end up being wide open because of all the kind of the funk. That you know, kind of. I can still see there.
0: Tyrone swoops throwing that type of play. Um, like, yeah. He would be so, little... but,
2: but honestly, to bring that back to Sark, he he played. He likes to play the tight ends. Right, plays a ton of tight ends, and we understand why to su- help. You know, kind of uh, really support and. Kind uh, of solidify your pass protection because we're, we know the offensive line has its issues. So I think that's why he's doing it mostly, but also off of that, he needs to have the counter of hey, the delayed release by the tight end up the sideline or the tight end screen package with a guy. You know, what I mean, you need to you have to have yeah. those in there mm-hmm. because if not, then it makes your offense uh, too too simple too simplified. Yeah. Right, you need to make it a little bit more complicated for the defense so they have to defend more threats. Right now, there's not enough threat. When Jordan waiting going out there's less threats to defend overall which makes the,
1: the offense easier to defend I'm glad you mentioned the tight ends because that was my chief complaint on Saturday they can line up in 12 personnel and run the football yeah. the problem is you typically don't do anything but line up and run the football when you're in 12 personnel yeah. if you yeah. hit them with a pop pass or like you said ride a tight end screen now you're at least giving them, we talk about this all we talked about this since we started this podcast like the more because of the limited amount of practice time you have in college football, and the, if I'm an offensive coordinator, the more practice periods I can make the defensive coordinator about to face, the more practice periods I can make him waste. That's exactly. By right. working on stuff I may or may not do, I've already. We're going into Saturday. I've already
2: got an upper hand. Yeah. Yes. Totally agree. And Sark agrees with that because he yeah. said the more things we can do, the tougher we are to defend. And we, mean, And yeah. I don't want him to try to you know try to force these players to do things they're not good at. So I know he's trying to keep this within range of what's their strengths, what's their weaknesses, what's the skill sets of my Mm -hmm. players, but also you do have to add
0: different elements to the offense. You you have to layer that thing. Even more so now when you've lost not only your third down valve in Whittington, but because of that, it's made you more predictable, as Jeff's talked about, because you're telegraphing with 12 personnel, and yeah, I mean, we can run well, and Bijan's really good, but it becomes something that simplifies the process for yep. the defense so yeah. much and then whenever you go and it's like okay well we'll go and stay in our trips or something it's like okay but now we maybe have one less efficient usage of the passing game so you still aren't as potent as you thought so that's where the added layers are needed with exactly. the because you have fewer pieces and the pieces don't have as much upside so the scheme becomes so much more valuable e-
1: even the, even something as simple as like if you look go back and look at the Oklahoma game one thing Texas did, and we've seen them run some split zone this year. Mm-hmm. They ran a ton of split zone yeah. in the first half. Mm-hmm. And why Why does split zone help you? There's a couple of different things. One, it helps secure the cutback lane, which either the tight end's either kicking out or, depending on how the defense plays it, if they're slanting or that backside end just crashes, now that tight end or H-back that's that's pulling, blocking back on the split zone, now he can basically become a lead blocker and lead, lead, lead you up in the hole mm-hmm. on a cutback lane. The other thing it does, we're talking about this all the time. That's how teams attack Texas. Man, you're just giving those linebackers and safeties more eye candy, giving them more stuff to process, making them a half step slow. Mm-hmm. And like I said, split zone—it's not some outside-the-box concept, but that's just one of those subtle changes that can give Bijan that half second he needs to hit a run lane that might have otherwise closed quick.
2: Yeah. No, I I, I totally agree. So I, I I my my complaint to Sark would be, you have to add different uh, threats mm-hmm. for the defense to account for. Even if, even if, honestly, they are manufactured and they're not real. Like the tight ends. Right? Yeah. The tight ends mm-hmm. may not be a threat, but you need yep. to make them practice, you know, a period just trying to defend tight ends, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Because now you've got some different concepts you use. But I, I think that's part of it. And also, I mean, let's be honest. I, you know, I track, you know, Texas and uh, t- Texas offense and all the cheat codes. You know, when I started tracking the last 17 plays, which is basically the last six drives after the Bijan Robinson touchdown, right? Um, He's he uses less cheat codes. Yeah. As the game goes on, yeah, it's right? A you weird. the pre-snap motion, I tracked it, it was the highest rate actually that I've tracked so far this year in Oklahoma State game. I'll give him props for that 76%, but in the second half it drops to 54%, and then after that Bijan touchdown last 17 plays, offensively drops to 41%. I, it, it, it it's negligible. It's not, you know, it's not a huge disparity, but you well, you should be losing using more cheat codes. When you said you were trying to spark the offense, why use less? You sparked the offense by using more cheat codes, right? Empty formation. The 58-yard reception by Marcus Washington was out of empty formation. Bijan Robinson started off the game with that that nice little pitch out of empty formation on jet motion. It was beautiful, actually. I almost throw tears to my eyes. Uh, But (laughs) had great stuff out of empty, right? And yet in the second half, only one play out of empty. I only had four plays, period, out of empty. Should have had more, period. But why only one? Right. Uh-huh. It's something you can 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 spark the offense with bunch formations. They had 27 uh, percent bunch formations, uh, I think, all throughout the game. But that number dropped like 17 percent um, when you got into the last 17 plays, those last six drives. Uh, you had less condensed and compressed formations in the last 17 plays. So a lot of things that, you know, were kind of cheat codes for you. You had less of them. You employed less of those things when you got into the the game and you needed to spark the offense. So I would my advice also would be use more cheat codes, right? You uh you 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 had you had really a lot of success using two back sets. You had nine Mm -hmm. plays using two back sets in that game all year you've been really good there. But when you looked at, you know, two back sets in the last uh, three uh, sorry, the last six drives of the game, you only had two plays. Uh, sorry one play in the last last 17 plays with two back sets and it was actually the most creative play he had out of those last six drives it was a play where they have two running backs uh, one is in one is Bijan is right behind him. Then the pistol and Rojo is offset right next to him. It's oh, kind yeah, of a yeah. half diamond. Then they shift Bijan almost to the go-go. I don't know if he's been listening to Robbie or not. Going to that Brendan Mary and stuff. I told, I pointed out uh, like a year ago, right? So it's kind of a go-go formation. So he's been doing some research. And then they run. They uh, Kelvin Cavante Dixon. He goes in motion. All right, they go they two by one, so it's twenty personnel, two by one. He's on the boundary side, single receiver side. He motions to trips. All right, and while he's in motion, they snap it and they run the speed option yeah, to yeah, the yeah. boundary. It, it loses yardage. Yeah. It was creative, yeah, but it lost yardage. Yeah. Uh, but that was the most creative thing he did in the last six drives. Everything else was pretty rudimentary, including the second and one and the third and one call and that was the fourth brutal, and man. three. He basically ran the same RPO concept, back-to-back plays, and all he did was flip the field. That's it. Same RPO scheme, except the first time they threw it to X-Men, and and second and one they threw it to X-Men, Third and one, they decided they were going to run it, and then the tight end Kate Brewer could not block, could not block the backside defensive end, mm-hmm. couldn't get him. He crashed down the play, blew up the whole damn thing because the snap also was off by Kerstetter because Jake Majors had gotten hurt yep. on that drive, and that also you know made things a little funky.
0: Maybe. Especially after Bijan got you nine on
2: first nine time. on
0: first down, and when you just <laughs> it's funny whenever I talked about start talking about the plays that hit and that aren't hitting here. I immediately thought of that sequence that you're talking about because they were the same ones that you're going with, and normally you wouldn't see somebody call that unless he was highly confident in something hitting in it's that true. situation. And I think that might have been the sequence he was thinking yeah. about when he volunteered that info.
2: Now, I remember Casey saw that the defensive back was way off. He was playing like eight, nine yards mm-hmm. off of x man, but he closed so fast. He just He knew him being off – yeah. would signal to Casey to, to throw it. Yeah. And as soon as Casey hiked t- it, he just runs straight. Hell, It had been a great double move time. He just runs straight down oh, here, yeah. and tackles him, great open field tackle. And I believe Casey made the wrong read because I believe Texas has the numbers advantage in the box. And that was something else. And that- then the next one, I think, our so probably like, damn it, we had the numbers advantage. Mm-hmm. Let's do it again. And then yeah. they did it again, and they tried to hand it off, and they blew it up.
0: And that's yeah. a huge part where, like, you see a lot of teams will do things like that, like, if sort of give the offense what they are baiting them into doing mm-hmm. by emptying the that's box exactly right. in those situations. And that DB also, if he has the confidence that he can, he knows that yeah, at seven yards off, I can make this play. I can go and do that, and then still bait him into making something where I'm confident in my skills.
1: Hey, random question. Rod, how comfortable are those socks you're wearing? Yeah, you're
2: pretty comfortable.
1: Watching. Okay. Nothing. I was just looking at them. I haven't had a, owned a pair of Nike socks in about 20 years. So, really? Yeah. What
2: you got against Nike socks?
1: Nothing. It's just, uh, you know, no. I, just, okay. I just haven't just realized, man, when's the last time I had a pair of Nike socks? Like, probably back in high school, maybe. That was probably
2: the last time
0: yeah. I had. Yeah. If you're a runner, you like socks. I, think I do. I like yeah. I got A6 socks yeah, on right, right. now. right. So.
2: That's probably what it is. yeah. Probably, mm-hmm. yeah. Really I, I got to have my Clearly, I'm not a
0: runner. So. <laughs> also, I listened to Lieutenant Dan <laughs>
2: Lieutenant Dan
0: Cushion socks
2: <laughs> So, it's the key to so Matt, when you're out humping You do...
0: remember to change your socks whenever you stop? Yep, yep, nah man, if you run in, in this city life, to death, You gotta yeah. have an extra pair of socks At you least do. with the way my feet sweat All right. I don't <laughs> sock talk. Sorry, Ron, I got us off track a little bit <laughs> okay.
1: Um, but So that, I mean It's not really—the thing with the offense is the offense's issues, to me, are fixable. And, like, there's this debate—and I said this after the Arkansas game specifically about the offensive line—like, it's a talent issue. Okay, let's not pretend that this Texas offense is just bereft of talent, right? Like, they've got some talented pieces, and they're talented enough, Rob, that when it clicks, when it looks good, it looks damn good. Mm -hmm. It does. It's just— it's just two extremes. Like, it looks like you look elite, like one of the best offenses in the country, and then you look like you couldn't move the ball in Prairie View. Sorry, <laughs> Prairie View grads. I don't know why I default to Prairie View. I just do. But it's two extremes, so you got to yeah. kind of ma- meet. If you meet somewhere in the middle, you could be pretty damn good on offense.
2: No, I totally agree, but as Sark made a good point, it is factorial when you start looking at because I think the way he put it was, it was like, hey, so what's, uh, what's the cause of these kind of late-game um, lulls on offense, right? These when you stall on offense late in the game. And he said every everybody's taking a turn, screwing yeah. it up. Mm-hmm. And he is right. They, they've all kind of taken a turn. You go watch it on yep. that first drive after the Bijan touchdown protection, the first three and out, Casey fumbles the damn snap. First yep. they get a penalty. First they get the penalty. False start. Yep. Yep, they get the false start. And then on the same that same drive, then he fumbles the snap on the third down. Yep. And then boom, they
0: have to end up punting. And remember, I guess you can go, go back, back to, to the pick six, and every drive there forward in the game you had one thing that came up and was yeah, an issue. exactly. And I think they have
2: another uh, fumble snap yep, later uh, on, on Later on, in one mm-hmm. of those three and outs. They had another fumble snap where he basically had to throw it away. I'm not sure if it was the snap was off or if Casey mm-hmm. just fumbled it like he did the last one, but that's a concern too. And on the defense, remember that, that basically the last six drives – uh, for Texas, basically considering after the Bijan touchdown, the entire collapse. They had two two um, uh, fouls on defense that a personal foul and then a hands to the face. Mm-hmm. that were
0: brutal. Yeah,
2: they keep drives alive for Oklahoma State. Yeah. Brutal, and that's on Texas
0: because I mean can't have it. You can't
2: have those in crucial moments.
0: Yeah, I mean, even if
2: it's a, a screwed up call, a bad call, you still can't have and it.
0: And then just the, on the pick six, the play that it's just one piece of coverage that's misread, but it can just show you how you flip. If you just say get a field goal there and you don't give up seven, you win the game. That's the difference in this game. You look at the point spread, it would have been right with the three, and it was predicted to be 29 to 26. You take that touchdown away. That game played out how Vegas, how every computer model had. I know that Stats of War on Twitter had it as the exact score when you subtract and add 7 both ways to where this game was pretty predictable when you have a tipping point play like that and then if you are say a believer in momentum because momentum is something that isn't actually in existence but it's something that is set on by a team you need one team and another to involve momentum and the actual like semantics that Herman would talk about that it not existing is only because it in, in itself isn't something it's something that is pushed on by one side or the other and that was that flipping side Mm -hmm. and from that point you saw a mistake by a Texas offense or defense almost on every single series in that one mistake when you make something like that and sustain what should be a successful stop or you have something that should be an easy third down play and you could even see the frustration on Sark's face when he was crouching down after one of the fumbles and not you couldn't tell who he was mad at probably more likely the situation. Just knowing that maybe we had something called up, but now that play doesn't work because we're scrambling to find a ball on the ground at our own two-yard line.
1: Yeah, Rod, to your point, the defense had three penalties on Oklahoma State scoring drives that killed them on their first scoring drive. It was a field goal drive, but you had the Keandre Coburn horse, horse collar. When you're, that. When, I think it's 39, it so and you're going to get off the field, mm. and he gets called for a horse collar. Remember that. The, the Ray Thornton roughing the passer in the third quarter, that, questionable. Was, on a, that was on a third and nine. That's questionable. Look, I, mm-hmm. I don't like that call, but – it's the rules now. It's just It is. It's, it's, it's,
2: but they should have called Malcolm Rodriguez for the one he got on Casey that took him out of the true, game. Because he, he he mm-hmm. put his head I see like he drilled him. He not only
0: led with his head, but yeah. he drove, him into, he the drove the him into the ground. So it was a two-layered so one where you to, if that's an nfl it's for sure. It,
2: if you watch it right after that play, I'm not trying to get on the grassy you no know, conspiracy theories. He looks at the ref and the ref says something to him and he just kinda nods and just a little Don't exactly.
0: yeah. don't do that again. <laughs> I
2: think he told him like, "Hey man, watch that" or something. But it's like, dude, if you're gonna give him a, yeah, you a freebie, I mean? yeah, if you're gonna do that, goddamn penalty. Well, we need yeah. we need
1: one of those. Yeah. Uh, and then, gosh, the hands to the face might have been the most brutal oh, one because that was brutal. you're you still got a two point lead. Yep. Granted, they're on the plus 27 when it happens, but it's Let's second and 11, a Jalen Warren six-yard that. run. You got it, you're got you you're going to face a third and five, but Ovia Gofu gets called for, uh, or I'm sorry, Moro Ojomo gets called for illegal hands to face. And yeah.
0: that's one of the few series that he <laughs> yeah, got I mean, them was, off schedule. He had his hands he, around the was, dude's it throat. Right call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a right call. Oh yeah, for sure. Right call. And that was one of the few plays, because normally you weren't, because Oklahoma State's so content with picking up three and moving on to the next play, and that was one where you actually had a negative yardage first down for them, and you don't get the benefit of yeah. making that big play.
2: Yeah. No, they were brutal. They were so – that's your momentum mm-hmm. comment. The idea. Yeah, exactly. So,
1: you know, I, I know there's a lot of Texas fans that are despondent. And, look, I, I'm not talking about the extremists out there. they oh like, ah, we need this coach fired and Yesterday. this guy's not the right guy. Look, I mean, you're at a point now where you haven't seen enough evidence to say – Sark is definitely getting this turned around, and they'll be in the playoffs no. in two years. We haven't seen enough evidence to say, ah, oh, there's no way in hell that can happen. Like yeah, you're, I agree. Just, you're just at one of those. It's a point where no Texas fan wants to be, but hey, watch
3: well, the idea that
1: we're in the same spot, watching yeah. this program that everybody's been in for the last decade plus now.
0: And we talked about all those one possession games. Now sometimes you aren't, maybe don't deserve what your record is, or sometimes you deserve a better record. But you look at last season. If last season just has a couple plays go a few different ways, Texas didn't deserve to be like a Big Twelve champion playing team or go to a championships game or play in the playoff. But those three losses were all at the very edge. It's a Keontae Ingram fumble at the goal line. It's an overtime Mm -hmm. against Oklahoma, and Texas is in a playoff somehow. You know, like that's how quickly. also, right. the Texas no, That's that game. my point, though. In like, the Oklahoma State game, yeah. where you <laughs> yeah. the when you're putting yourself the in these exactly. situations where yeah. you don't get the actual, it comes down to who has the ball less. It's like, that's no, why I, I, least, I at least like that Stark's taking the ball to start And that of, can keep a us in the momentum. You a and, good good and I watched
1: together, man. If that Baylor game goes about another five, six minutes, mm-hmm. uh, Be very they different. were starting to figure some stuff out yep. late in that game. So I, I know it's, but it's ifs and buts. That's what we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, the way that I see your point, Matt, but the way this team has just lived on the edge so much oh, yeah, you don't want for the be. last four and a half years, it's that's gonna like a 15 and 15 record in one possession games shows yeah. it, it balances out at some point.
2: And I think the frustration for our fans also is the reason you are in one possession games, right? Exactly. You're watching these games like, well, for with Tom Herman, it was the team was undisciplined, so it was always a lot of penalties, right? You were beating yourself. Uh, Turtle Tom would always kind of go into you know, when he late in the games. I know we deal with that again, but his play calling would change. Yeah. Um, and with Sark, you know, your play calling, it, it's not the same. I'm not going to say it changes, but it ain't the same. My, my metrics and all my notes tell me the play calling ain't the same as it is when he comes out, his opening with script, the script. in the first half. It's just not. Because you haven't had all right? week to work on it. And you have, <laughs> exactly. And the adjustments are being made on the other side. All right, there are, other, there are other coaches on the other side that are making adjustments real time, and now you have to also do the same. So you have to be a coordinator, a head coach. Go see as a coordinator and a play caller. You know we know Sark is legit, but now getting we get into his a lot his, different. Now we're now we're getting to his task as a head coach. It's a lot. Now different. you're talking about the psychology of your team late in the game. You can't just be focused on your yeah. offense, even though your offense is the problem. So you are the head coach now to step back and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. am I the problem?" Is my play calling the problem?
0: Remember, Herman. Look, do we talked know, about yeah, the, how big know, of a factor are you this able was. To assess
2: what the problem is. Right now, you're basically just saying we just got to do what we've been doing for 60 minutes instead of doing it for 45. Yep. Okay, that's easy to say, but the truth is, you're not when you go up against a, a really good coach. Let's say a coach that basically can win 60-plus percent of his game. I'm talking about a really good coordinator. And
1: Gundy, Gundy and Lincoln and and Riley Gundy, both fall into that category.
2: They're damn good coaches. Gary Patterson yep. is too. Head and you, you be one of those, right? And I'll give credit to the coordinators at Arkansas. I think Kendall Brown's a good coordinator. I think Barry Oden's a good coordinator. The truth is you aren't holding your own enough. Well, That's just the truth. Yeah. And now it's early, and it's your team's early, and you're still growing and evolving as a coach, and we all understand that. But the truth is when you got into a matching of wits with Lincoln Riley, you won the preparation and the game planning, good for you. He won the adjustments in the ball game. All right. So come to Mike Gundy, you you won the game planning and the preparation. Good for you. He won the adjustments in the ball game. Yep. Uh, Gary Patterson almost got you too. He yeah. was close. If, he, if, he, if he learned, if they, if they play this, they throw in the corners deep a little bit more, and then and give the ball to Zach, Zach Evans. Evans a little bit more. Yeah. If Zach Evans, Evans is, is really, in better well, they shape. Have, they don't have three turnovers. Yep. Yeah. All of them on easy fields, like short fields, that game could be a little different. So you just went, you just went meathead on that and said, I'll just give it to Bijan, and that was a smart move by you. Yeah. All right, So you won that coaching match. But my point is, when you've got into a chess match with these, what I call, you know, some of them elite coaches, but damn good, Mike Gundy's been in the Big 12 longer than anybody, Lincoln Raleigh's considered elite, you are getting out-adjusted, and therefore you're losing the game. So preparation and game planning is great. you got half the puzzle figured out. Now, you need to figure out adjustments and you need to figure out how ad- adversity. Because right
0: now, your team is not handling adversity well and you're not handling adjustments well. And it's a huge point right here to think about. This isn't the Sark at Alabama. Because he isn't just offensive coordinator. Exactly. He has yeah. so many things. He has <laughs> yeah. a lot of head coach duties, and it's a lot different, because what happened against Barry Odom and against Kendall Brown, Well, they have Sam Pittman as a head coach, like yeah. the delegation of exactly. duties. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of things going on there, and you can't expect to get the same Alabama OC version of Sark, because he has to do so much more True. when he's on the sideline. Oh, and it's the whole debate that we talked about whenever Herman initially wasn't a play caller, but then had to Coe when his back's against the wall. Mm -hmm. He had to take that over, but then we started talking about, well, now all these other things are amplified because we saw more discipline issues and things that were just slipping through the cracks. And I think that's a huge factor to be added on because everybody talks about how great Sark, and he is great at an offensive coordinator. We've also talked about the problematic issues that he's had in previous stops as head coach. And that's, I think this is a huge reason why because he isn't even allowed to be what he was whenever he got to this point because he has to do a lot of other things and especially in-game and adjusting of course well if you're talking about script and plays and you have all week to be able to do that it makes being the coordinator easier to make those things play out well Mm -hmm. but once you get in-game and have to deal with the chaos and have to focus your mind because I mean the mind consumption just what it takes to be able to retain and just call plays especially if you aren't in the booth and you're on the ground and not seeing what you get to and then whenever, you know, Sabin and the D.C. are dealing with everything else and you can actually dig in in game and look at those things, you don't aren't afforded that luxury when you're a head coach. And that's where you really rely on your assistants and your G.A.s and people like that to articulate these things to you. Halftime means more. But what's going on at halftime? You're being a head coach also. So there's a lot layered in there that you don't necessarily always notice. It's... uh.
1: And I think going, you're you're about to face another coaching staff, right? We know Dave Aranda on defense; it's one of the best in the country. Jeff Grimes and Jeff the Baylor's got some stuff figured out on of offense
2: now. Damn right they do.
1: And, and by the way, you have a bye week, and so do they. Damn right. So it's I do want to talk about this because this is this will be the, a main topic on next week's show. Just as a teaser, um, the talent issue. No. know. I'm not going to get into that part of it, but when. When you look at this Texas roster, I, I, think, I think the misconception, guys, is people look at recruiting rankings and think it's automatic. Mm-hmm. No. How I view it as being, and, and again, th- th- this industry is how I make my livelihood, is the recruiting industry. And when you look at a star ranking, that is an indication of that if you take this guy and you develop him <laughs> the way he should be developed, is yeah. not good of a player he should become. It's no different, Rod, than I look at it like, you know, pit masters and chefs, right? Mm-hmm. You can give everybody great cuts of meat. Yep. But if I season it right mm-hmm. and I know how to cook it, yep. uh, my brisket's going to turn out great and yours is going to look like Lincoln Riley brisket if you just, <laughs> you know, I ah, just throw it in there and just char it. No, it's. Same meat. It, Same is ju- brisket. Which is just why on, you know, ticket of your cooking shows, why you can see Gordon Ramsay take, like, you know, Mm-hmm. A can of spam and a couple of parsnips and make a five star meal. Like some,
2: some guys just do it. Damn right. Uh, it, yep. It's it's it's, um, yeah. it's how Matt Rule can go to Temple and Baylor, yeah, and turn it, programs it, around in
0: three years. You're like and, what and the compete and it, t- <laughs> it, 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 he inherits Gettleman's people and immediately yeah, turns around the Panthers at Temple.
2: a Temple, when you
1: can go compete with Penn State with a roster that you look at on a paper, <laughs> yeah. has no business competing with Penn State. Yeah, and how you can take a roster <laughs> and compete with Texas and Oklahoma, and when you look at them on paper, there's no way you should be competing no with Texas and Oklahoma.
2: Yeah, Gundy's a damn good chef. Exactly. Yeah, he's a damn good chef too. <laughs> so let's
1: not pretend like oh it's just people manipulating star rankings and giving Texas guys a bump. Trust me, I've been involved in those rankings discussions. That might have happened at one point. I can speak for how it works for the twenty four seven Sports in house rankings. That doesn't happen anymore. It hasn't happened since I've been with the company.
2: Yeah, the, I, I think the, the data actually supports that the rankings are becoming more more accurate. Yeah, over the years. In so terms of the NFL now the NFL data that you have too, so, to compare it to.
1: I've heard some really smart people make that argument, and I think it's a terrible argument. That oh, Star because they getting manipulated. No, that's not part of the problem. Mm. The problem is, and again, I, I want to save this for next week, but take take Denzel Okafor as a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Okay, okay? Denzel Okafor was a top, like, 250. Actually, just, just give me a second. Let me pull up where he was in the composite,
2: okay? Uh, Denzel Okafor is a great example. I know where you're going here. I don't want to spoil it because I know it's pull good. Up. I know exactly where you're going. Zinza Okafor
1: ranked 277 in the country in the kay. 24-7 sports composite rankings. I think in our in-house ranking, one of the last guys into the top 247 at 243. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Never plays a snap for Joe Wickline because Joe Wickline gets fired. Yeah. So there's one offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. He comes in and he plays for Matt Maddox for one mm-hmm. season. By the way, in that season, because you had a head coach in win-now mode, we need to get this guy on the field. Let's make him a jumbo tight end. So you're taking away weeks of developing developing him as an offensive lineman to make him a jumbo tight end. So basically, you waste Denzel Okafor's 2016 season. Wow. Okay. Go to 2017. That staffs out, new staff in. So you're out to. He's associated now with O-line coach number three and Derek Wareheim, and you're on play caller number two and head coach number two. Wow. Oh, and strength coach number two. By wow. the way, you get through the 17 season. I remember he plays a couple of games, and you could tell. Okay, maybe with some development, he'll be better. Then you change offensive line coaches again. Mm. So now, Rod, he's going in to his third season in a program. This is the fourth Fourth offensive line line coach coach that said, hey, I can do this with you. I can develop you. You can play for me, blah, blah, blah. With her band. And by the way, Tom Herman and the offensive staff made the determination that his development has been so jacked up, we're going to take advantage of this four-game redshirt rule. we got to redshirt him because he can't play right now because his development, his growth has been so stunted now you get to his – he comes back as a 60-year guy. Man. After a year, by the way, where you had the COVID year and it was wonky for everybody, and I think that year's typically worse on it was – we're going to find out it was worse on offensive linemen and defensive linemen than any other position groups on the field. Mm-hmm. This is because you got big guys, and not all big guys are going to work the same when they're away from the program. Now you take Denzel Okafor. Oh, by the way, so you just fired Herb Hand and the rest of the staff. So now he's on another play caller, another offensive line coach, his third strength coach, another head coach, mm. and, you know, it, it is it is what it is. How the hell I are you supposed about... to develop yeah. offensive linemen? The position on the field that other than quarterback needs more development than any other position when there's so much constant change. And I'm not saying Denzel Okafor would have been Justin Blaylock. No. But, Rob, that's an example. That's a guy— However good he might have been, we'll never know because he never had a chance they, they didn't do him any favors
0: no huh. and we talked yeah. about the need for continuity yep. we, we had been so mm-hmm. happy at the beginning of last year that Herman may be able to finally have some continuity in a program and have some things going and Texas able to deal with that because like we've talked about the constantly changing and the reprogramming of a mind that you need and then mm-hmm. the idea of breaking bad habits and learn this d de- just re- mind erasure it's like re- rebooting a computer well, it's like when you listen to yeah. Peyton and Eli if y'all watched any of those opening weeks, they constantly talked about how hard it was to get a new coordinator if you've been there. These college kids in that Texas and then coming out of high school, you're talking about you might have something new for five consecutive years. Mm-hmm. So if you, talk,
1: if you look at Denzel Okafor, counting Joe Wickline, I'll count Joe Wickline since he recruited, he recruited him, him. him. Five online coaches, three head coaches, three strength coaches, five different offensive play callers.
2: That's crazy. That is unbelievable mm-hmm. for a six-year guy.
1: You're ba- it means you're basically associated with an offensive line coach every year and a
0: half or so. Yeah. And,
2: and if he's got that, many, that means everybody there has has had at least two. Topper body Program what yeah. you
0: do in these situations. Wow. How you were taught, learned. Everybody knows that having to relearn off of bad habits is like something that some humans just can't do.
1: Yeah. With Derek Kerstetter, it's one fewer
2: O-line coach and one fewer play caller. So, I'm saying, like, so they've, everybody on the lines pretty much, if you've been here long enough, you've gone through turnover yeah. as a player, which is, it's not, and it was needed, by the way. I'm not saying the turnover wasn't needed. I'm not right. saying keep those guys around. No. It's also why you don't want to
0: fire every coach to say, the way that fans right now or get PK out or whatever. It's like, no, we need to try to make this last and work. Now you have to have some to solve, growing pains. You have to, have
2: to let, give them time to solve the problem.
0: Yes, and then
2: once you figure out that they don't have any solutions, it's, the problem. it's not so my point It's a is, couple
1: is, years. People, it's not a blanket statement just to say, "Oh, this team, this team doesn't have talent." No, they've got they, clearly when it works, you see they've got talent. Mm-hmm. The problem Texas doesn't have, they don't have talent. to depth.
0: Yeah, and they've had talent that's been up against two top ten teams for double digit leads against top ten teams in back to back weeks. You have to be pretty talented to do that.
2: Agreed. Yeah, otherwise, you get blown out. Yeah. They got the, they got enough talent to win to win those games. Like mm-hmm. when you're up 21 points, and when you're up double digits. Uh,
1: and, I, and it just 21. feels like we're in the same position with this Texas team that we've been with multiple Texas teams now for the last decade. They they've got they're capable of winning the rest of their games, but they're capable, with the exception of probably Kansas, of maybe losing the rest of their games.
2: Yeah, they yeah they could lose to Baylor. Certainly, could lose to Iowa State. Hell, K- I certainly see West Virginia on the road. Yeah. K-State? No, I'm with you. A case that I like Chris Klein, he's a hell of a coach. Yep, they, they certainly can. If
0: you want it right now, uh, Bill yep. Conley has his win probabilities chart just for the fans to give him the data from the guy that's most respected in Vegas, literally moves lines to fit his model. 38% chance of seven wins. That's your highest likelihood. You have Ooh. 25% eight wins, 26% six wins, 5% nine wins, 6% five wins. So we're talking... Seven wins is the most likely, yeah. and your likelihood of being five, seven or more wins is at 68% with a 32% chance of six wins or less. I got the
2: Iowa State uh, game as a loss, but now that Baylor is what they are, man, that's that could be two losses right there. Yep. That could be the next two losses. I'm that's at, where he has seven. The, F,
1: the FPIs. I'm looking at ESPN's FPI right now. They project
2: Texas basically seven. as a seven and five team. Uh, most Longhorn fans would view that as a disappointment. Let's be honest. Win
1: probability, win probability is the highest for the KU game at ni- over ninety, almost ninety nine percent. They got K State eighty three point nine percent win probability for
2: Texas. He's right got to win eight games, man. He's got to find a way to to just have you one more loss. See, I don't is, know how you do it. But yeah. He's got to find. A way you got to beat. beat Baylor, said, or Iowa State. Yeah, he beat, which is exactly. why I
1: said before the season started. Eight Texas seven. went eight and four against this schedule. That's a really good season. Right. Guess
2: what? If they go 8 and 4, it, you can say, yeah, they go 8 good 4. Year. They go 8 and 4. And I, I'll recalibrate cause I think I was a 9 and 3. They go 8 and 4, considering now, because you got to go on the eye test. I'll say, successful season, but. Seven and five, there's no way a Texas you could ever say a seven. And well, five and if you season. look at what, say it. the no. betting and lines, we got on Sam Ellinger for saying that at one time. Like, well, we still believe that. no, mm-hmm. it ain't eight and four. Never is, eight will and four be. is the gray area. Eight and four is the gray area. Yeah. You, you, can, you can spin a, it one way, way or the logic other. There's some logic in the eight and four, but we'll, we'll, we'll do a deal with it. You can,
1: <laughs> you can spin it one way or the other at seven and five. There's no question <laughs> what
0: it is, and likewise, nine and three, there's no question what no that question is. You win nine games regular season, they should be a nine and three team because you should have won one of these last two games. Yeah, because it was a Vegas consensus that. Under eight and a half was it? The big money was there, so yep. eight was what it was thought. But under eight and a half involves seven two at a high likelihood, yeah. and that's only at expectations. Yeah, are you right? right.
1: Yeah, we'll talk more about win loss projections and talent mm. and all kinds of fun stuff next week on yeah. So Hey, before we get out of here, um, I do want to mention this because there was a point in our podcast where. Uh, He was actually a really big part and a good contributor Uh, and actually became a good friend. Uh, Derek Foreman, father of Deontay and Armani Foreman, passed away over the weekend. And all three of us had had good conversations with Derek Foreman Mm -hmm. over the years. Uh, You know, we had Deontay in studio for a show. Um, And I know there's a lot of Longhorn fans that have their opinions uh, on Derek Foreman. What I can tell you about Papa Foreman, and I'm forever grateful. I mean, they allowed me to be there the night Deontay was drafted. And, you know, I I mean, I remember moments like me and Derek and Deontay around a TV in one of the, you know, other bedrooms when that run-on running back started in the third round. Right before he went, like, Alvin Kamara came off the board and Kareem Hunt came off the board. And we're thinking, man, if this run-on running back starts, man, it's got to be any minute. And we literally go into the other room and then, boom, the Texans are calling. Um, special and uh, you know I know people have their opinions on Derek Foreman I'll say this about Derek Um, unequivocally uh, and unconditionally loved and supported his kids the way a parent should Mm -hmm. that's that's the one thing I can say about about Derek Foreman Um, so uh, hearing about his passing it floored me when I heard about it on Sunday I had to reach out to a contact and Texas Cities cause you never know when you see reports on social media. You hope it's a it's a something. That somebody or something. got something wrong yeah, or, but yeah. no, I reached out to a contacted Texas City and told me what was going on. Um so I don't my heart goes out to the Foreman family, to Armani and Deontay, uh and, and the entire family. Um rest in peace, Derek. He was like I said, good great to us. Uh became somebody I considered a friend. And uh yeah, it's uh it's tough, but again, I think the, the saving grace is, no question. I, I think every parent should strive to to love and support their kids the way he did.
2: No, um, yeah. I agree. Very kind words, man, and um, thoughts and prayers with his family. R.I.P. I love his passion. Um, yeah, I appreciated pop performance passion, man. He always brought it. Um, yep. Hell, he probably missed his calling. Probably should have been radio guy <laughs> some. <laughs> yeah, he, he was really passionate mostly about his family, but also about the Longhorns too. So he always showed me love, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm very sad about his passing.
0: Yeah, it was a sad thing to hear. I remember it was a spring game, I believe it would be right when Deontay was breaking out, and I watched that whole spring game with him and the Foreman family, and we just talked ball, and from then on, he would just stay in contact with us, and he was a big listener to the show, and I mean, he had a funny line, he was like, yeah, I'm a proud papa, but I was a Longhorn fan before I had these (laughs) kids too, and and that's where you felt that passion, because everybody has that root of your childhood. fandom and that's something that carries with you and then he got to see his sons yeah go there and play for him so if you want to find like a poster child for being a texas fan like it's harder to invent one more so than papa yeah, ford nothing
2: brought more joy to his heart than watching his sons play for texas no,
1: yep and, and i remember like when deontay was on the awards circuit when he won the doke walker award Derek, you know went to the banquet with him and i remember the uh, because, you know, they only started giving out the Doak Walker Award in 1990 or 91, I think, mm. was the first year they did it. So they're doing, like, Lifetime Achievement Awards, you know, you know, historic winners. And the the kind of the Lifetime Achievement Award winner that year was Herschel Walker. And I remember Derek telling wow. me, he's like, he's like, I'm at a banquet, like, chop it up with Herschel Walker. Like, I'm not supposed <laughs> yeah, to be here. I believe it. <laughs> remember watching this, Yeah. TV? So it's, uh, no, but uh, Derek will be missed. And, again, you know, passionate about the Longhorns and his family and his kids and uh, – Got nothing but love for the Foreman family. Yeah, man, we're going to miss them. Okay, uh, not necessarily the way I wanted to end it, but uh, that's uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thank you for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 101 Nine am 1260 Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B. each and every weekday with Kevin Dunn on RBKD. Shameless Buck. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic shows and interviews are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz blitz don't forget to find this podcast anywhere you get your podcast just by searching horns 24 7 click that follow button to get every episode of the flagship state of recruiting and longhorn blitz and don't forget to leave us a five-star review for the horn family for the horns 24 7 family i'm jeff howe thank you so much for downloading and listening and we will catch you again on the next episode you've been listening to longhorn blitz with horns 247com remember for the latest longhorn news 24 7 visit horns 24 7.com